0: Mark chapter 7, I will be reading verses 24 through 30. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. Um, And from there he, that is Jesus, arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered the house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Retreat is our immediate reaction to when problems come up in our personal lives or in the world. You can say to a certain extent, today, Christians are in retreat. We would love to escape our problems and our suffering, which is understandable. Oftentimes, we are trying to figure out solutions to our problems, but we often forget that we need help. We often follow the patterns of the world as they are constantly making a show of strength and self reliance. But how often do we confess our need? Or maybe it's because we are living in abundance. So we get very comfortable with where we are and we do not realize our true spiritual need. We can be blinded by spiritual pride. But unlike the world, we have been set apart to live a life dependent on our Savior for our every need. Jesus walked among sinners without retreating from their needs, except for the much-needed occasion to rest. And this is where we have come to once again in our narrative. Jesus was in Gennesaret, where he was with his disciples, healing and teaching. He confronted the Pharisees and scribes about their man-made traditions that they were treating as law. Then he goes out from there and travels to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And this is significant. Because after he confronts the Pharisees and scribes about their traditions, he declared all foods clean. Why is that significant to Tyre and Sidon? Well, because when he declared all foods clean, he was also declaring that all people groups from every part of the world will be made clean and that all types of people will soon be gathered into the kingdom of God. To declare all foods clean, he is at the same time tearing down social barriers that once existed between Jews and Gentiles. So he is beginning to open the doors of fellowship with those outside of the Jewish context. So after he corrects the Pharisees about how it is sin that comes from the heart is what makes us truly unclean, he travels northwest to Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus has moved out of Jewish territory into a predominantly Gentile region where he would run the risk of being made ritually unclean, at least according to the Pharisees. Is this coincidental? Well, no. Nothing that Jesus does is coincidental. Because not only was it a Gentile region, but this is the same region that Jezebel came from. They were the bitter enemies of the people of God. What he was doing would have been viewed as borderline treasonous. They would have asked, why is he going there out of all places outside of Israel? Well, it seems that he was going there to rest and to hide out for a bit. It says he entered a house. Uh, We're not sure whose house this is we would presume that it was a relocated Jew who relocated for work since Tyre was a good location for trading. And Jesus did not want anyone to know where he was, but that was short-lived. It says, yet he could not be hidden. The fact that he had become popular would, would make hiding a little bit difficult. Not only that, But he could not be hidden because he is indeed the light of the world. But the question is, do people understand what that light means for them? Do we understand what this light means for us? In his wisdom, he was avoiding the wrong kind of popularity. He didn't want to give people the wrong idea. This is wisdom that the church in every age should learn from. This is the wisdom that every generation needs. Because often the church is seeking the wrong kind of popularity for the sake of popularity or to impress those within our own inner circles rather than for the glory of Christ. We don't want to give the world the wrong idea. But before Jesus could hide himself, he is already found by someone who needed his help. We can summarize this person's condition as she is in the same condition as everyone else who have approached Jesus for help. She is in the same condition as you and I. So this is as much for you as it is for this woman. What condition is she in? Well, She is a sinner. She is a sinner. And here we see she is a sinner in desperation. A sinner with a simple faith. And a sinner who goes away satisfied with the Savior of the world. So immediately his approach within the house, he meant to hide himself in by a woman who heard of him. She heard of his miracles, she heard that he has liberated those who have been possessed by unclean spirits, and it so happens that she had a little daughter who had an unclean spirit. So first, she came to him in desperation and fell down at his feet. This was to show him homage and tribute as a respected teacher or rabbi. But not only that, she fell at his feet seeking for mercy. And notice, she was an unlikely candidate. Uh, There are some barriers here between Jesus, as he was a a Jewish rabbi, and this woman. Well, first, she was a woman. For a respectable Jewish rabbi to associate himself with a woman who was not his wife was culturally unacceptable. Secondly, she was a Gentile, a non-Jew, which would have made Jesus unclean. Thirdly, she was a Syrian and a Phoenician, meaning she was of mixed blood uh, and mixed background. Or as Matthew puts it, he summarizes what she is by saying she was a Canaanite. Canaanites were descendants of Ham, Ham. And they were cursed because of his sin. So God stripped their land from them and gave it to Israel. Not only that, but most of the people in this region were unbelieving pagans. So this is said to emphasize that she was an enemy of the Jews and of God. She was an enemy of God. So this... Pagan woman of enemy descent comes to Jesus in a way we don't see from neither his own people nor the religious, Jew, the religious leaders. Because they believe they had everything figured out. They were good without Jesus. But here it says she begged him. She was in a desperate place. She knew that this man could do something. It seems she did have some knowledge of the Messiah, so she pleads seeking for his mercy. And what's different is that she seeks it on behalf of someone other than herself. She pleads him to cast the demon out of her daughter. The greatest privilege we have As children of God, is not only that we have access to the throne of grace and that we can go to God when we are in trouble, but also we can go to God to intercede on behalf of others, to seek His mercy for others as well as ourselves. In fact, parents, as we will see later on in uh, the sacrament of baptism, we have a duty to pray for our children. But then notice what Jesus does that continues to prove that he is in fact the savior of the world. Notice Jesus responds. The fact that he responds to a woman who is a Gentile of the stock that has had a long history of enmity with the Jews and a long history of unbelief for the sake of a girl who is ritually unclean the fact that he responds to her sets the tone for the entire conversation. If it was the normal everyday Jewish rabbi, he would have just dismissed her without saying a word. And that was the accepted custom back then. So the fact that he responds gives us a hint to the tone of this conversation. He's not going to be purposely offensive. He's not going to be using derogatory language as we would interpret them today. He will be speaking as a teacher to his student. And he teaches in a parable. That is the tone of this question that he asks her. Because there are two errors we need to avoid when reading this text. Remember there are always. Two ditches on the sides. Of the road that we should be on. First. We need to avoid reading into this text. Today's ideas. Of political correctness. Like you know. Did, did you hear what he just said to her? He's a racist. He's a bigot. He's chauvinistic. He called her a No. That's not what's going on here. Let us avoid that mindset. Secondly, let us avoid using this text as proof that Jesus is okay with a version of racism or or that Jesus is okay with using derogatory terms about others. If anything, this text helps us to go in the opposite direction. So he responds to her desperate plea by saying let the children be fed first for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now you can see where on face value Uh, this would be considered offensive. Right? But there are some details we need to know before jumping to the wrong conclusions. First the children here is speaking of Israel, the people of God or the ethnic Jews who receive the promises of the gospel through receiving the entire law, which are the types and shadows of the promised Messiah. Secondly, bread is speaking of the food that the Messiah will give them. He is going to give them himself the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, which would satisfy Israel. Thirdly, he mentions dogs. Most dogs were considered by most Jews of the day as dirty, wild scavengers. And to call someone a dog in the mind of an Israelite was was considered a derogatory term or a racial slur for Gentiles. They only called Gentiles dogs. Dogs. It was probably the most offensive way to speak of someone. But notice the context. Notice where Jesus is. He is in a house. Dogs were not allowed in the house ever. Never mind around a family's dinner table. Unless they were little dogs. Little dogs were domesticated. They became beloved family pets. And they would eat whatever was left over from the table after the family had eaten. This is why the New King James Version translates the word for dogs here as little dogs. That's what it means in the Greek. So what Jesus was saying to her is what Matthew records. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He wasn't trying to be offensive. He he was saying there is an order to the promise of salvation. He was sent to bring the message of salvation to his own people first and that the Gentiles will have to wait their turn. As Paul has said, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He is speaking about an order in time. Not racial superiority, nor racial supremacy of any sort. So let us not draw the wrong conclusions from this text as either license to say something offensive, and let us not draw the wrong conclusions and exaggerate Jesus' intentions in using language that would have been otherwise considered offensive. Because that was not his intent, he was a wise teacher. Teaching his student how to win an argument. He was teaching her the order of the history of salvation and how it was going to take place. And she was expected to respond. Because this was a test. It was a test. He wasn't trying to dismiss her, he wasn't closing the door on her. It was a test given by her teacher. This was a test of her faith, and she was to respond. And she does respond, secondly, with faith. She responds humbly, yet persistently and cleverly. She answered him humbly, acknowledging his authority and her dependence on him. She says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What simple faith? What simple faith? She didn't respond with, oh, that's not fair. That's unjust. I want just as much bread. And I want to be first in line. You owe me that much. No. She was fine with just the crumbs off the table. Because she knew. That just the crumbs off the table of the Savior would be enough to liberate her daughter and to save them both in the end from death. The question we can ask is, did she pass the test? Well, let us leave that to Jesus. What did he do? And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. He responded to her simple request as it has demonstrated her simple faith. And notice, this is the first time that he was not physically present for the miracle. This is the first time he wasn't there. He liberated this girl without even being there physically. This continues to prove his identity as not only the Son of Man, but also the Son of God. He is indeed the Savior of the world. He is God who is everywhere present at the same time, and yet he is limited as a human to his own body. How do we make sense of that? I have no idea. We're not meant to. We're not meant to. All we're meant to do is receive it with a simple faith. Jesus is the sovereign Lord who knows all things and has all things under his control. And his word is powerful enough to liberate a girl's soul from the powers of hell, from a distance, and to create new life in sinners. He is an all powerful Savior. And she took his word for it. She believed his word. She went home and found her daughter had been liberated. What a simple faith in an awesome and all-powerful God. So thirdly, she went home satisfied with what the Savior had given her. She asked for just the crumbs off the table, but he gave her much more. He gave her much more. Isn't that what Jesus does for us? When we come with open and empty palms, seeking to receive anything that He has to give us, yes, he ge- yet He gives us much more than what we ask for. Much more than what we deserve. He gives us salvation when we deserve condemnation. Is that the faith that we have? A faith that is often desperate for his help? A faith that is not prideful or triumphalistic? Have you seen your daily need of him? Your need of a new heart and a right spirit within you? And if so, quoting R.C. Sproul, would any of us trade in the crumb of our salvation for anything in the world? sadly, how often in our practice we do, right? So what can we learn from this text? Well, first, we see an impartial Savior. Just like she was the enemy of God, we were once enemies of God. And yet Jesus is the Lord and Savior Of all types of sinners. He is the Lord of all sinners. And what he reveals in this text is the full plan of salvation in seed form. Jesus is teaching his disciples something here. He he is giving the church a blueprint of what is to come. This is a foreshadowing or a glimpse into the future of what the church will be called to do in teaching the nations. Because though Jesus is limited to calling His own people Israel, he, he makes an exception for this woman in order to reveal that His mission will eventually go beyond just the Jewish people. And the irony was that Israel at the time, especially the Jewish leaders, have denied their need of their Savior. They will eventually put Him on a cross. But in this pagan woman, he found faith. He found faith. This should teach us we're never to give up on anyone. If this Gentile, outside of the bounds of Israel, outside of the bounds of salvation, was found faith that God put in her, anyone can be saved. He said, there are others not of this fold that he must bring in also, like you and I. If you are not an ethnic Jew, then you are a Gentile. You would have been regarded in a similar way as this Seraphim woman. So Jesus didn't follow the legalistic traditions of the Pharisees. Uh, To us, he was counter-cultural or against the culture. Just as the church is called to be counter-cultural today. But the question is, why? He, he wasn't trying to be purposely rebellious or revolutionary, no. He, he didn't follow them because he knew his father's plan of salvation to save all types of people. In fact, he was there when he and his father made the plan and he agreed to fulfill the plan. God, through his covenant, promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, not just one nation or one people group. So this occasion gives us a glimpse of a diverse and united kingdom under one banner of Christ. So who are we to deny this plan? I know today... Racism has become cliché. It has become taboo. It's mentioned so often that people are no longer taking it seriously. Now, the media elites and the powers that be misuse the word racist and racism for you know, their own agendas or what have you. But then there are those who make excuses to justify and... Uh, To say that racism is really not all that bad. But racism or separation in the church for ethnic or cultural reasons is inconsistent with Christianity. And this passage teaches us this very thing. Because this example of Jesus responding to the needs of this Gentile is a promise that salvation will come to all types of people. So racism not only degrades and demeans a person made in the image of God, but it is also a denial of God's plan of salvation for all types of people. And it eventually leads to a denial of fellowship with someone who is part of the body of Christ. The early church would later have issues with Jews and non-Jews mingling together in one congregation. But they had to deal with the issues. They had a whole council to deal with the issues in Acts chapter 15. And what they concluded was that we are all one in Christ. For he himself, that is Jesus Christ, is our peace. Who has made us both Jew and Gentile one And has broken down in his flesh. By dying on the cross, he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. That is how people of all different types of backgrounds can have peace with each other. It is through Jesus Christ. While the Pharisees would have dismissed this woman, we ought to pray for a spirit of humility and grace. To welcome others, whoever they are, wherever they are, as we would welcome Christ. Because the hardness of heart toward this woman would have been, for the Pharisees, a symptom of their hardness of heart toward Jesus. Secondly, God honors a simple faith. He is not a respecter of persons, nor our cultural, ethnic, or family background, but what he honors is a simple faith. You may come from a Christian background and grew up in a Christian home, but the question is, is your faith yours? Is your faith yours? That is a faith that takes God at his word. A faith that doesn't rely on our own goodness or our own know-how, but a faith That seeks his mercy and confesses our neediness. Because we act often like we don't need anything anymore. We believe we have everything. We're satisfied with full stomachs and empty souls. We are content with living without God. And this only lasts until tragedy Strikes. Then we are awakened to our own need, but the question is is it God? Is it God? How many people do we know only go to church when they need God to help them, but as soon as everything goes back to normal, we don't see them again? Our neediness doesn't end when we're saved. We ought to pray that the Lord continues to reveal to us our need of Him. See, the Pharisees didn't see their need of this Messiah. So-called Israelites didn't see their spiritual deadness. They were dead. And they didn't want to confess it. They ignored the signs and went about their business. This is unlike the Psalmist. The psalmist who goes before God and confesses his own condition in graphic, self-deprecating ways. He says, but I am a worm and not a man. May God open our eyes to that place where we see ourselves for what we truly are. May God open our eyes to our fallen condition so we may go to Him. And depend upon Him with a simple faith. Thirdly, God honors a persistent faith. That is a faith that keeps coming back to Him. Persistently going back to God. Uh, We may think to ourselves, well, uh, my faith isn't strong enough. Well, it's not about strength. It's about persistence. Keep going back. Well, you're probably saying, well, he won't hear my prayer. What's the use if he won't respond? But we often forget that this God is everywhere present at the same time. Jesus sees all things and knows your need. He sees your suffering. He sees your family member or your friend suffering. And he always has a place open for a child of God before the throne of grace. Always. So that we may go back to him wherever we are. There are no neglected children in the kingdom of God. He hears you. Always. Fourthly, a simple faith is a satisfied faith. And we are called to be satisfied in the Savior's care. This woman was persistent in her plea, yet she wasn't ungrateful. She was ready to receive even the crumbs off the table. She was satisfied to leave with little from Jesus. Because the crumbs off the table of the Lord are more satisfying and filling than the loaves of bread that comes from the world. See, the Pharisees were never satisfied. They were never satisfied. They were content in their pride of wanting more other than the Messiah who would save them from their sins. While this pagan woman from enemy territory came begging for the Savior's help. We should remember that as we consider ourselves once as enemies of God. So where are you in this picture? Are we satisfied with the crumbs from the Savior? Because we know He doesn't just give us crumbs. Can you say that you are satisfied with the Savior's care of you and where you are? Fifthly, God calls us to a simple faith that trusts an all-powerful in all present Jesus because in the end it's not about our faith it's not about our faith but it is about the object of our faith our faith is to look outward outside of us not inward today as we place the sign and seal of the covenant on another baby who is born in a covenant family this is what is pressed on us is that the sign and seal doesn't have to do with me my faith or my choice it has to do with god and his faithfulness it has to do with god and his faithfulness and that he makes promises and he fulfills those promises Jesus proves again that He is everywhere and that He hears the cries of His people. He promises to be with us and to save us. I did a memorial last week for my dear friend who passed away. And the pastor of the church described faith as trusting that God will save us. That's what faith is. Trusting that God will save us. It's not something that we boast about. But we boast about the God who will save us. Do we realize how powerful he is and how desperately, desperate we are? Do you believe his word? Do you take his word for it? then cast yourself upon him. Fall at his feet and beg. There's nothing else to do. Nothing else to do at this point. But the good news is that the Lord hears and he is always near to comfort. Amen. Let us pray.